Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Suns, Bucks, Game 6. Oh, I forgot. Because there's a Game 6 tonight. Big head bets. I'm going to slam the big head in the middle of hour number two. So let me get you started with some thoughts on that game. And then the head and I will give us or give you our picks. So if you want to get down and you want to make some money, potentially you'll have that opportunity. Middle of hour number two. Suns, Bucks, game six tonight. If you want to go based on vibe and momentum, you would think the Bucks are up three games to none instead of three games to two. Given how the last couple of games have ended, with Giannis coming up with that massive block in game four, and then that massive alley-oop in game five, the Bucks just feel like they've got that choke in the Suns as deep as it gets, and it's only a matter of seconds before the Suns either go to sleep or they tap out. That's how it feels. And it's pretty wild how it got to this point too, right? Considering the Suns were up two games to none, and the question was not whether they would win, but whether they would get the sweep. But when it goes, it goes quickly, especially when the other guys are making all the biggest plays in the biggest moments like the ones I just talked about. Now Booker with Tucker on him. Throws it up for Aiden. Shot blocked by Antetokounmpo. What a block from Giannis. Yeah, I know we've covered this before. And we're going to cover it again, like this. Booker driving, chicken wings again, in the lane. Holiday rips it away! 16 seconds to go to Giannis, slam it! How about that? Incredible, even now. So this is why Giannis and the Bucks continue to preach, staying in the moment and, got, and not getting caught up in it. But it's hard not to get caught up in it when they're just hours away from the biggest party there in decades. Now, keep this in mind. It's not like the Suns got blown out in either of those games. In fact, they had a damn good look at it in games four and five. So while their backs are to the wall right now, they were actually this close to having won the entire series already. In other words, we're not far from talking about the Suns' victory parade today instead of them needing a win to keep their season alive. But... That's not the conversation because Milwaukee did execute when it mattered most and the Suns turned it over when it mattered most and they didn't finish. So here we are. Here the bleep we are. Here the we are. Which means I've got one thing to say to the Suns. Actually, one thing to say to one son and that is Chris Paul, my man. You better show the hell up tonight. You best not be walking around letting people call you the point god only to once again start giving the rock to the other guys when it matters most in the biggest game of your career. The point god better be in the building in Milwaukee tonight. I mean, damn, things do change quickly. Remember just a few days back when Chris Paul was the toast of all of basketball. Remember when everybody was so eager to praise him, celebrate him, pat him on the back. Talk about how deserving he was to be in this position. And how great that ring was going to look and feel on him. And how, in fact, he was not the nut puncher that everybody made him out to be. But rather, the best guy and the best leader that this game has ever seen. 
Well, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about whether or not he'd get a ring, but we were assuming the ring and asking what that ring would mean to Paul in his career, right? We were asking, where would you put it? Where would you put him in the all-time great point guard rankings when, not if, he won that ring? Do you remember those conversations? Do you remember all that? I do, because it was like five minutes ago. Only to have the Bucks rip off three in a row and have everybody rush right back in to remind Paul the more things change, the more they stay exactly the same. Namely, still a nut puncher. Still unable to finish on the biggest stage. And yes, it is a team sport. And you win and you lose as a team. Except in this case. Because everything about the Suns and this entire series has been so Chris Paul-centric, right, the entire time. The narrative was totally out of control. It still is. Check out this question for Devin Booker after Game 5. Obviously a really tough loss. Devin, how frustrated are you uh, for Chris right now? Next, Next question, please. Dwayne, over on the right side. Ouch! Booker rejected that like Giannis rejecting an alley-oop at the rim. Normally, I am not a fan of the next question answer, but if ever there was a question that deserved a next question answer, it was that one. Like, hey, yo, Dev, you just scored 82 points. 82 in your last two finals games, but how does it feel to know you're letting down the almighty point guard who's seated like five inches from you? How many times have you apologized to him for doing so, and what do you plan on doing to make it right with the almighty point god, Dev? Next question, please. I mean, I'm not even here to put it all on the point god. The problem is, when they were up 2-0, he was getting all the credit for it. It was all about him. It was all about his veteran leadership and the impact that he had on that team on and off the floor. Hell, the impact he had on the entire organization. No, the impact he was having on the entire association. No, the impact he was having on the entire world. So, when it matters most, and he starts to turn it over for the first time like all year, and they're on the verge of the most catastrophic collapse of his entire career, and he's had a few now, hell yes, all eyes are on the alleged point god. Because he's looked like anything but in recent games when it was all right there for him. All right? I'm not taking anything away from Milwaukee and the job they've done on him defensively. But I'm talking about a guy, man, who also has lost the handle and just fallen down in critical moments. You know, with like less than a minute to go in a two-point game on the road in the finals. That kind of meltdown. Moments where an all-time great is supposed to dominate. That's where all that experience and leadership is supposed to kick in. That's where all that point godness is supposed to kick in. That's the guy that you're supposed to want with the ball in his hands in that moment, right? So again, taking nothing away from Milwaukee and Drew Holiday in particular, who's done a great job on Paul. Again, we're talking about the point God, an alleged all-time great. Where is he when they need him most? 
Bottom line, I don't know where the hell that guy's gone. I just know that guy sure as hell better show up tonight because you sure as hell can't reach the finals for the first time in 16 years, get a 2-0 lead, and then lose four in a row. Because if that does happen, the question would no longer be, what does a ring mean for Chris Paul's career? It would be, what does coming this close to a ring again and then blowing it again mean for Chris Paul's career? And how many more packages will he be punching in frustration if it does happen again? And what would you give? What would you give right now to have Devin Booker and the point guard sit together for another Q&A before tonight's tip-off? You know, it goes something like this. Hey, uh, Devin, while I have you here, are you concerned about the point guard's frustration level and the way he might take it out on the team's nuts. Next question, please. Uh, Devin, what about your nuts in particular? Next question, please. Hey, Dev, you think if Chris had the chance, he'd punch Scott Foster in the package? Next question, please. If you were the Bucks, would you prefer to wear a cup? Next question, please. You think you can score 60 tonight? Because you might have to. Next question, please. The unknown came in 2020, and that changed the workplace forever. So, while some of us are getting back to the office, some of us find ourselves in a new normal at home. The future of work has changed. So has the future of seating. X-Chair is at the forefront of home and office seating during this transition. And now... X-Chair's newest innovation, L-Max Temperature Regulation, will take your seating comfort to a whole new level. Patent-pending L-Max allows you to experience cooling, heat, and massage in your lower back. It's absolutely incredible. X-Chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar support was already best in class with incredible responsive low back support and now with LMAX your comfort is guaranteed. You will not believe the difference until you feel it for yourself. Imagine regulating your body temperature and getting massage therapy while you're working. You have to check this out. Go to xchairrome.com right now. That's the letter X, chair, rome.com. Or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR and save $100 off your order. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to xchairrome.com right now. Use the code XWHEELS for free X-Wheel blade casters xchairrome.com it is incredible we are joined by Rafael Akpajori Rafael good to have you on the show how are you doing very well Mr. Rome how are you good good it's nice to talk to you so it's been about a week and a half since you beat Stephen Lyons with that first round KO in Miami take me back to that night how pleased were you with that performance and with that win how would you grade yourself um, I mean, I, I have a very tough coach, Blaine Johnson, the Road Warrior, uh, former uh, on, uh, former light heavyweight champion of the world. I think I believe is IB on IBF uh, light heavyweight champion of the world, and uh, he's known for beating Roy Jones by knockout back in 2004. So, if I'm going to judge myself by the eyes of my coach, um, I will give myself a B plus, being that I listened to the instructions that he gave and I, I carried out the game plan. 
um, by my own standards. I think, um, you know, I, I, I try to get people out of there as quickly as possible via knockout. And, uh, you know, I took too long to get my knockout, which, you know, I'll give myself a B-plus for that also. Well, man, you did get him out in the first round. Like, like how quickly <laughs> were you looking to get him out if it took too long? I mean, two minutes is a good standard in boxing. You know, the longer you're in that square circle, the more dangerous it gets. So you always want to get a man out of there quicker than than normal because, you know, the the ring is a dangerous place and you don't want to stay too long in that place. Rafael Akbaturi. My standard is great. I get that. I understand that. All right, so you've had 12 professional fights, as I mentioned. All 12 have ended by knockout. As you told Kai Sky Sports after that last fight, quote, it's pretty evident that when I touch people they kind of go to sleep, end of quote. So how would you describe your punching power, and how big of a weapon is that power? Um, it's, a, it's a weapon that has developed uh, over the course of time. I went through my amateur career, a very brief one, actually, uh, with a lot of knockouts, but I had a refined power then. So when I um, kind of linked up with uh, Coach Guy Johnson, you know, he's kind of refined in a way where it's more technical. You know, we watch guys like Deontay Wado throw the right hand, uh, we watch guys like Vladimir Klitschko, we know the way they throw the right hands. We watch guys like Errol Spence, the way they throw the right hand. So we add a little more technique to it. So now it's more of a beautiful thing than just a raw power. You know, now we call it a heat-seeking missile, you know, that does not miss. And when it touches you, I mean, like I said, it's pretty evident that you will go to sleep. And so it shall be. This is awesome. I'm really enjoying this conversation already. Let me put it to you another way. You, at the same time, you know, and you laid this out, it's not just about the power, right? There's so much more to it. Quote, as Anthony Joshua says, the right hand can take you around the block, but the jab can take you around the world. That is an absolute truth in boxing. End of quote. Can you lay that out for me? What do you mean by that? Um, the jab is the first and the most important punch in boxing. Um, the jab is a setup punch. The jab is a throwaway punch. The jab is a punishing punch. The jab is a is a frustrating punch. So if you can constant, constantly keep a jab out in a man's face, um, that prevents him from thinking. That prevents him. That that keeps you on offense and keeps you on defense. When you're tired, you can use the jab. When you're trying to look when you when you're trying to disguise punches, you use the jab to disguise punches. Um, uh, one of my, co- one of my, um, one of the coaches here in Miami, Florida, coach Dino, 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 um, he coaches, uh, he's the head man at the fifth street boxing gym. He told me, um, a man who throws 50 jabs or punch, uh, a fight around will be a multimillionaire. Just look at Lennox Lewis, you know? So, um, the jab would definitely take you around the world Um the jab disguises the jab is the best punch for for boxing and the most important punch for boxing and uh you know that's the, that that that's the that's the basis of every every coach every coach teaches and that's the basis of boxing the jab part of me is a little disappointed that you just referenced Lennox Lewis because i literally was going to do it next Raphael, I was going to say to you that three questions into this conversation, you were already my favorite heavyweight since Lennox, and I loved Lennox. I loved having him on this show. I loved talking boxing with him. My man was so thoughtful and so smart, and in that way, you remind me of him, and you literally beat me to the punch, no pun intended. I was going to mention Lennox. Now, after the win over Lions, you called out Tyson Fury and Dylan White. I understand you wanting those opportunities. I understand that your progression in this sport has been absolutely amazing. Do you feel like you're ready to step up to that competition right now? 
Um, that's a that's a that's a question that uh, I I truly believe that I am ready to step up to that comp- step up to that level of competition. Um, the truth of the matter is, that at the end of the day, it's it's Glenn Johnson's call to actually make that decision. I I believe that I can take those guys right now because of their styles, not because of their experience per se. Um, Darian White is a guy who's a tough guy. I fare well against tough guys. He believes he's a body pan puncher. I fare well against guys like that. And, uh, you know, he's a little shorter than I am, so I can always use the reach on him. Um, Tyson Fury is about my height, a little shorter. Um, he has, he's graduating to a position where he um, is starting to, you know, use his weight and slow his feet down. Um, I, I fare well against guys like that. Now, Tyson Fury is going to be a little trickier because he's more of a ring general. You know, he knows how to use the ring very well. And, uh, you know, I would need a little bit more work for me to get on his level, maybe three to six months, you know. So um, I believe I'm ready for that competition, that level of competition. Um, at the end of the day, you know, my coach, uh, Glenn Johnson, makes that, makes, that, makes that call. And I'm going to do what I can in training and in practice and in sparring to prove to him that I'm ready for that. All right, so in a vacuum, this in and of itself is an amazing conversation about you and your boxing and your plans. But for those who do not know, they need to understand the journey that you have taken to get to this spot. If we were to go back, you've been a great, great athlete your entire life. In fact, Frank Haith recruited you to play basketball in Miami. Now, when you were playing in Miami, what did you think your future was going to be? Were you thinking about professional basketball? Absolutely not. You know, at that time in my life, when I came to United States when I was 17 years old on a basketball scholarship, you know, um, I came into the basketball that borders route, the uh, Michael Jordan brand classic route, you know, through Masai Ujiri, who's the current uh, uh, president of the Toronto Raptors. So, obviously, at that time, the NBA was my dream and my goal and my aspirations. You know, Frank Hayes, my man, I respect him, I love him, amazing individual. Uh, he was my coach who brought me to University of Miami. Um, I did not think I was going to do anything else with basketball, you know. But, uh, you know, as life goes on, you know, you have to be able and willing to switch your dreams, um, you know, because at the end of the day, you created those dreams and things come, things come from time to time and you should be able to, you know, find ways to evolve in terms of your dreams and your aspirations and where you're trying to go. So um, from basketball, we moved on to football, played football. We had a, an absolute blast. I made a lot of friends. I made a lot of connections. We University of Miami football team and Al Golden and Coach Mark Nofrier, you know, went to the Miami Dolphins for training camp. You know, that was an absolute, um, that was an amazing time in my life in training camp with the Miami Dolphins. I didn't make the final 53, but, you know, I would never trade that experience for anything. Then boxing started. And boxing has brought me here today on your show, and uh, we hope to keep it moving from here. It's, it's incredible, right? And there's still more, yeah. though, and this should come as no surprise to anybody listening. At the same time, the story goes that you were earning a mechanical engineering degree. I remember when I went to school, the mechanical engineers that I knew, all brilliant. <laughs> I'm curious, what kind of things were you studying, and were you thinking at any point that your future was going to be as a mechanical engineer and not as an athlete? Um, I mean, growing up in Nigeria, you know, your parents don't care about sports. They only care about education. And uh, fortunately and unfortunately, they kind of pick your major for you. You know, you're either going to be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer. Uh, those are the three main uh, professions to pick from. I also happened that my parents picked uh, engineering for me and kind of tuned my mind into that. 
you know i went to school it was a it was a good time you know my undergrad was relatively easy my grad school mechanical engineering was the worst you know i think i was depressed in that period of time because i saw courses that i never thought or imagined existed you know going through differential equations uh thermodynamics heat exchangers um you know all levels of mathematics all levels of physics as you know the amateurs know it you know, all levels of uh, aerodynamics, uh, you know, aeropropulsion, jet engines, you know, learning everything about everything. You know, that was a great time, man. You know, actually having you remind me of all of that right now kind of takes me back to depression mode because those are things that, <laughs> you know, those are things that put me in a bad mood back in the day just studying for them. But I'm actually grateful I, I did. You know, I, I, I graduated from the University of Miami with a, with a bachelor's in mechanical engineering, a master's in mechanical engineering and uh, a bachelor's degree in economics. So, you know, it was a fun time of uh, education. You know, I, I absolutely loved it. You know, man, I'm actually man. grateful for it. My man, I, I'm sorry to depress you, but you are the most interesting man in the world right now. So if you had gone to your parents back in the day and your parents said to you, listen, Raphael, here are your choices. You can be a lawyer, you can be a doctor, you can be a rocket scientist, or you can be an engineer. If you countered with, I choose heavyweight boxer, what would they have said? <laughs> they would have said absolutely no. You know, my dad, my dad would probably say, oh, that's cool, because he was a big um um fan of uh Mike Tyson, Buster Douglas and Evander Holyfield. You know, my dad would have probably, you know, maybe given me a, a side eye to, to tell me that okay, maybe you could, you know, try boxing, but don't tell your mom. But uh my mother would have absolutely said no to that, you know. Uh my mother would probably tell me to be a, a med- medical doctor to be able to treat all the all types of ailments. And, uh, you know, I, I think that was how it would have happened back in the day. See, the thing is, though, like, I'm not even sure that it's too late for that. I, I still have a feeling that maybe you could keep <laughs> climbing the ranks and you can get that belt around your waist one day and you could still achieve all those goals. You could still be a doctor. <laughs> Listen, before you go, you mentioned Glenn Johnson a few times. Yeah. That's a former world champion. Very clearly, you hold him in high regard and you're, you're taking a lot of your leads from him. Like, what have you learned from him specifically? Um, with Glenn Johnson, you know, he, he didn't come up the traditional boxing way where, um, you know, you come in, you have a manager, you'll be protected through the politics of boxing. You know, he came up through the grind and pound, uh, way of boxing. You know, he fought everybody. He fought them in their back- backyards. He was cheated before he finally broke through against uh, Clayton Woods in England. Actually, he was cheated the first time he came in and, you know, reasserted his dominance the second time. Then before he came back to the United States with the belt. Um, he was a, he was basically the B-side opponent of the Roy Jones fight before he knocked him out. And uh, he was he fought Tarver, you know, which kind of cemented his, le- his legacy as a road warrior. So with Glenn Johnson, you know, he teaches you the, the road warrior mentality, which is, you know, regardless of what happened, there's a job that needs to be done. However you feel, it's very relevant. You know, boxing is a sport where only the, where the winner takes all. And uh, it's a very brutal sport with brutal mentalities, and you have to be able to live with that. You know, regardless of how you feel, come out, come around and do your work. You know, do the job, and we'll talk about the feelings later. You know, so that's kind of what I've learned from Glenn Johnson. Glenn Johnson is the right person to put that mindset in you. I mean, other coaches will probably teach you the technicalities of the sport, what you should, how you throw a right hand out, throw a jab. But Glenn would bring you into the ring, the mentality of the ring, how things, how you're going to feel, how every fight is not going to be 
the way you drew it out, but you have to come bring something out of the bag and win the fight. You know, regardless of how you feel, get up, show up, and, you know, get the job done. And we'll talk about the uh, the problems later. So that's kind of like what you learn from Glenn Johnson. You know, he's a road warrior. He actually is a true warrior. And um, I'm actually glad to be that he's in my corner. And, uh, you know, having also having Glenn Johnson in your corner opens a lot of doors for you. So that has also been a blessing in that aspect. So one final thought, just to follow up, when you talk about that, one of the things he's taught you is that brutal mentality. I mean, you mm-hmm. you were so cerebral. There's so many other ways for you to make a living than mm-hmm. by getting punched in the face. Now, Rafael, I understand that you're also <laughs> punching the other guy in the face, but that, that brutal mentality, does that come naturally to you, or did you have to conjure that up and manufacture it and learn it? Um, the truth, when you start boxing, you come to realize that it's in everybody. You just have to, you just have to need somebody to knock it over for you. You know, the brutality is in everybody, you know, um, what's his name? Um, the guy who, um, who's with Stephen A, the boxing guy in, on ESPN, uh, what's, I, I forgot his Max name. Kellerman. Um, Max Kellerman, he gave an analogy. He said, if you come to a T-junction, um, there's basketball played on one side, there's football played on one side, there's tennis on one side. Or maybe there's soccer on one side and there's boxing. Where do people naturally gravitate to? You know, people gravitate to where there's a fight. So it's in everybody. You know, even if, even if, regardless of if you want to make it out on somebody or you want to watch it or be entertained by it, you know, everybody is naturally gravitating and inclined to violence. You just have to find a way to tap into it, either for a good core, a good cause, which is boxing, or for a bad cause, which is people on the street doing street fights. I just happened to. Um, tap, uh, I happen to have tapped into it for a good cause and for an athletic cause and a cause that will probably bring benefit to me and millions of other people, you know, by me coming out in the ring and being successful. Rafael Akpajuri is my guest. He is a heavyweight boxer. My man, that is one of my favorite conversations in quite some time. It is so good to talk to you. So great to have your story on this program. Let us make sure that you and I do that again soon. That was outstanding. Absolutely. Absolutely, sir. I appreciate So my wife Janet and I just celebrated our 24th anniversary, and I wanted to give her the perfect gift. And I'm looking, and I'm looking, and then I found it. It was right there. I discovered paintyourlife.com. See, this is great because we have a son in college, and we're kind of moving around, and it's tough to get everybody together. But I found a way to do it safely. And when I heard about that at paintyourlife.com, I thought, man, that is an amazing idea. But it's got to cost a fortune, right? That's got to be so expensive. Wrong. These paintings are truly affordable, and the quality is absolutely amazing. Get a professional, hand-painted portrait created from any photo at a truly affordable price. It's such an original, unbelievable idea. At PaintYourLife.com, there is no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now, as a limited-time offer, you get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. Best offer ever. To get it, text the word Rome to 64000. That's 64000. Text Rome to 64000. Paint Your Life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Terms apply. Available at paintyourlife.com slash terms. Again, text Rome to 64000. Let's talk Packer football. Let's talk about Aaron Rodgers. So the Packers are going to open up training camp next Wednesday. And, of course, the biggest question 
Really, the only question that truly matters is, is Aaron going to be there? And there's been an update this morning. A few hours back, Adam Schefter did tweet the following, and I quote, This offseason, the Packers offered Aaron Rodgers a two-year contract extension. Excuse me. A two-year contract extension that would have tied him to Green Bay for five more seasons and made him the highest-paid quarterback and player in football. Rodgers declined the offer. Proof it's not about the money. End quote. Well, well, well. Very interesting. Sort of. Maybe. Actually, who knows? Because it sure feels like this is coming out of nowhere, right? And yet at the same time, the timing does seem pretty interesting, doesn't it? I mean, on the surface, it sounds like the Packers offered him a two-year extension. They'd pay him a huge sum of money. They would have made him the highest-paid player in the game and effectively made him a Packer for life. One of the things that Aaron has said is very important to him. So that would be great. Honestly, that would be the resolution. I think that everybody not named Jordan Love and perhaps everybody who's not a Denver Bronco fan would be hoping for. Aaron Rodgers, drafted by the Packers. He is a Packer legend, going to retire as a Packer the way he always wanted it to be and most assumed that it would be. And everybody's happy about that, except for Jordan Love and Bronco fans. So it would seem like, according to the report, the Packers finally caved. They did the right thing. They gave him that big-time deal that he earned and he deserved and he wanted, and it has him locked for the next several years, right? And let's not get into that just yet. Uh, let's not get into because, that. according to Schefter, Aaron declined the offer. And according to Schefter, Rogers declining the offer is, quote, proof that it's not about the money, end of quote. All right, so also very interesting because if the Packers really did step up with this amazing offer and he really did turn it down, then it means that he really does not want to be there after saying all along that that's exactly where he wanted to be. So if they really are giving him what he wanted, why does he reportedly still want to leave? Right? If they're giving him what he wants, why does he still want out? Is it because the bridge has already been torched, or is it because the offer may not be what it appears? The offer may not be what the Packers want you to think that it appears to be. I don't know. I don't know what it is, and I don't know what it isn't, because we do not have all the information. The devil is always in the details, and the details are always in the fine print. The tweet says, all right, the tweet says that the offer would have tied him to Green Bay for five more years. But we already know that his current deal runs through 2023. So with that language, he's already tied to Green Bay for three more years. Except, and this is key, we know the Packers can get rid of him after this season and go with Jordan Love for 2022. So, while he's tied to the Packers, they're not tied to him. So, what did this two-year extension look like? Was it guaranteed money, or was it some of that NFL money that vanishes whenever a team wants it to vanish? 
If they offered him a two-year extension worth a billion dollars per year, non-guaranteed, what's the point? If it's non-guaranteed, he's not getting it. So the question is, did the offer tie Rodgers to the Packers or did it tie the Packers to Rodgers? And isn't this what this has been all about all along? Yeah, well, that and them moving up to draft his replacement and not telling him first instead of using that pick to help him get back to the Super Bowl when they were so close and he was playing the best football of his career. You see, from everything I've seen, Rodgers seems to be good with being tied to the Packers, but he wants the Packers to be tied with him as well. He doesn't want them to have the opportunity to dump him for Jordan Love whenever they feel like it, right? I mean, I get that. I see him working. That's not hard to understand. This is the league MVP, You'd think that winning the league MVP would get you a little more job security than a few more months before you know that you can get shoved aside so they can get to the new guy who has never thrown a single NFL pass. If the Packers offer really was guaranteed money, they would keep him in Green Bay for the next five years and also handcuff the Packers to him for the next five years. That would be a hell of a statement for an organization that has given absolutely no indication that that's what they want to do, right? So now, all of a sudden, on the eve of training camp, they're just going to back up the Brinks truck. Now, suddenly, they're going all in on Rodgers after refusing to do so for months. This is a team that drafted Jordan Love in the first round last year and has been reluctant to commit to Rodgers beyond his 38th birthday. But all of a sudden now, they're going to lock themselves into making him the highest paid player in the game and pay him well into his 40s? Really? What changed? And why are we to believe this is the case now? And if this really is the case... The hell took them so long to get here, if in fact we actually are here. Let me tell you how this looks. And again, I haven't seen the fine print, but I'm going to tell you how it looks. It looks like we're just over a week to go before camp. They're trying to make him look like the bad guy. Because apparently there's this amazing offer, and they're all in, and they're committed to him, but he's not committed to them. That's how it looks. Look what we did. And he doesn't want it. He's the bad guy. I'm just not convinced. Stop parsing words. Stop leaking things to Shefty and shoot straight. If it is what you want people to believe it is, man, say it. Say it. It's guaranteed money with protection for Rodgers. We're tied to him. He's tied to us into his 40s. He's going to end his career here. Do it. Say it. Or you know what? Better yet, better yet, you want people to believe it? Trade Jordan Love. Prove that you're not going to dump Aaron for Love after the upcoming season. Until we know more about the offer, it's just a report. 
It's just a report, and it doesn't really change anything. In fact, it may have made things even worse. If the alleged offer is not what it appears, and Rogers thinks that once again they're going public with it, when both sides don't want to, allegedly, and they're going public with it just to cover their own ass and make him look bad, how much worse did that just get? Fact is, this entire debacle was avoidable if the team had just handled their business and their first ballot Hall of Famer the way you're supposed to handle a first ballot Hall of Famer, who, by the way, is the reigning MVP of the entire league. But they didn't. And they've got nobody to blame but themselves. Rodgers is not the problem here. The organization is. Enjoy a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies Black Friday in July event. Get amazing savings with up to 50% off high-performance computers and tech built for business and be able to take your office with you with Windows 10 Pro. Plus, get great offers on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and more, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Call 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. And speak to a Dell Technologies advisor today. We are joined by Kalani Sataki. Kalani, it's good to have you back. How are you? Great to be on. Thanks for having me on, Jim. Always good to have you on. So bring me up to date because it has been a minute or two since we last spoke. What was the offseason like for you and how are things? It's been great. It's been, uh, you know, getting things back to normal, having a normal spring ball last year, obviously got disrupted by the pandemic, just like everybody had to deal with that. And uh, a little bit unique in the offseason training this year, we've been back to normal and, and getting guys um, you know, ready with as a team. So it's been it's been the process has been really good, and and it's been nice to have things getting back to normal. And looking forward to seeing all our fans at at, at the first game. Well, that's the truth. That's the most important thing. Some return to normalcy. So let me ask you: You didn't just have a season last year, but you went eleven and one. And as I mentioned, you finished number eleven in the polls. You had that enormous win over Boise State. You beat UCF in the bowl game. As you look back at last season, especially with all the challenges, what are you most pleased with and most proud of? I'm just proud of the of the players and uh, just thankful for the opportunity that we had to play the game. Um, you know, and and obviously it was a little different um, not having the stands uh, full, but um, just uh, just to see our players have an opportunity to work hard and have it be um, be able to show it on the field and and um, they they showed a lot of gratitude last year and going into this year, just not taking things for granted. So I think uh, it, it's really changed society. It definitely has changed our team dynamic and. Uh, having our guys be a little bit more appreciative of the things that they have and, and not take anything for granted anymore. You know, what about the coaching staff? I mean, obviously you guys are older, a little more mature, but did you sense any of that as well, a change of perspective and maybe even some greater gratitude among the coaches? Definitely. I, I think entitlement can settle in on everybody. There's no one that, that's immune from that. And so uh, I, I think uh, when when you see things and put things kind of – there's a priority uh, that puts in place, especially when things are 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 hectic and 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 disruptive like the pandemic, and and I think it gets everyone to focus on what's the most important, and uh, to let things like football work for you rather than uh, have have it run your life, you know. And I think that can happen for coaches, that can happen for a lot of people in in the profession. It definitely can happen for for student athletes as well. And so, 
it's allowing them to realize what's the most important and and then have football kind of work um, in conjunction with it rather than have it run your life. I really agree with you. I mean, how how can any of us not go through what we went through and not have a greater appreciation and perspective? I feel the same way. Kalani Sataki joining us. All right, so as we jump into this, your offensive coordinator, Jeff Grimes, left to take the offensive coordinator job at Baylor, and you promote Aaron Roderick to take over. It's an offense that's coming off an amazing season. So how much change are you guys planning when it comes to the scheme, or is it primarily the same and maybe the faces just change? Well, I trust Aaron Roderick, and and, and I'm just happy that, that, that Jeff Grimes was able to go back home. He's from Texas. It uh, makes a lot of sense for him to go there and be close to home and to be um, close to his mother and, and also, you know, for him to be with Dave Randa, who they work together at LSU. And I'm really thankful for the things that, that Jeff Grimes did for our program. Um, and, and he did a great job leading this offense with – uh, a lot of um, a lot of uh, basically support coming from Aaron Roderick. Aaron Roderick's been an offensive coordinator before for many years, and and he's been through this. He's been through a change of quarterbacks, and he's the guy that mentored um, you know Zach Wilson throughout the, the last three years, and definitely had an impact in what happened in our offense last year. So I trust Aaron Roderick, and I, I trust that that staff to get the offense rolling and. It's just going to be new names. Zach's going to be playing for the Jets, and so it's going to be a different quarterback. And uh, it's another opportunity for guys to step up and, and, you know, what a difference a year can make, right? So a lot of people weren't talking about Zach last year, and now he has, uh, you know, catapulted himself to be the second overall pick and and starting quarterback at at the Jets, and we'll see what happens with him there. I feel really good about his work ethic and the things that he'll be able to do in New York. Uh, From us here, we're trying to get – uh, whichever name wins the starting spot, make sure that we get him all the all the, the resources and targets to make him have the same type of success. All right, so lots of good stuff in what you just said, and I want to follow up on a lot of that stuff, but you mentioned Zach. So when you and I talked about Zach in the past, you know, we talked about all the upside and what he brought to the program and what he brought to everybody around him. How pleased were you then when he was drafted second overall? And then what kind of a quarterback and leader should Jets fans be expecting? Well, work ethic is second to none. I mean, he he is a football junkie, and and so uh, he he doesn't really ever step away from football. In fact, I think the, the the it'll be a lot better for him now that he doesn't have to worry about school. He can just focus on football, and and uh, he's having the time of his life. That's that's the one thing that he always had a goal is to get to the NFL. And, I think I think a lot of uh, fans in, in New York are going to be really happy to see what what he does there, and uh, but he'll 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 work harder than anybody out there. I I, I can say that with with 100 percent surety. So, Clonnie, what's amazing to me is he was a three-star recruit coming out of high school. You've had multiple other players drafted this year who were walk-ons or two-star recruits. It really is an incredible advertisement for how the program is able to develop players. What are the attributes then that you look for in players when you're recruiting? Well, some guys are just late bloomers, you know, and and being able to see, um, project where you think these guys will play, it's not anything unique that I've started. I mean, that that's been going on for a long time, back uh, back in the you know in the eighties when when guys are recruiting linebackers and turning them into DNs and recruiting corners and making them safeties, you know. So that always has been out there for us. It's being able to get guys that will go with our work work ethic, understand the mission of our of our school and our football team, and then buy into it. And they buy into the culture. Great things can happen. And um, my job as a, as a football coach is to get the most out of them, and and uh, put them in a position where they can achieve their dreams. And that and that that for a lot of these guys, that's the NFL. So uh, I have to create an environment where we can get NFL guys out. 
uh, every year, and then uh, I think we're in a, in a good place. I mean, we had five guys get drafted last uh, this this last draft, and then another eight signed free agent deals. So uh, obviously we have to replace those guys, but that's a good sign that that things are working here, and we can develop players. And it's things that I picked up along the way as as, as a coach and things that I've seen as a player. So um, it's, it's definitely helping us out. So uh, if we can keep this trend going, I think that's going to bring a lot of success for our program. You bet. BYU head football coach Kalani Sataki is my guest. Now you're going to play a loaded schedule once again this year. You've got five Pac-12 teams. You've got a Big 12 team. You've got an ACC team. You told the Athletic, quote, we're not a P5 program, but we play so many P5 programs, and you can see the difference it makes, end of quote. Like, how different are the games against P5 programs versus the ones that are not P5s, and what is the biggest difference? Well, obviously depth um, and size, but uh, for us, the biggest difference is we're the only team that plays that that P5 schedule front-loaded, you know, and so uh, we have to be ready coming out of camp, be ready to, to roll right away, and uh, I think going into the sixth season now, I think we've got a, a really good system. Um, in the past, we've had to just learn by you know, school of hard knocks. You just have to kind of figure things out and, and let our guys see the type of talent that comes in here and plays against us. We played against Wisconsin one year, and they obliterated us. They were they were physical, and our, our guys worked hard, and they, I mean, they gave all the effort, but there was definitely a difference in physicality on the field, and it was a challenge for our players. There's no other way to, to learn than experience, and so that was a tough a way to learn that you got to get stronger and bigger, but it was a great way to motivate our players. And uh, the next year we went up to to Wisconsin and we beat them, and we were just as physical. And I thought our guys made a huge uh, a change in their approach to the game. And uh, what a difference a year can make. And so that's what we're going to focus on. We can do a lot of things in a year, a lot of improvement. And sometimes um, you have to learn by getting punched in the mouth on how to protect yourself. And we've 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 been through that. And so now you know my job is to keep reminding them. What can happen if you, if you don't take care of your, yourselves, you don't work hard, you don't sacrifice? Um, what can happen? And uh, I, I love the schedule because it's hard. I, th- I think uh, when you go through some difficult times and go through some hard times, it brings out a lot of wonderful rewards, and, and I'm looking forward to see what that happens this year. Kalani Sitaki joining me for a few more moments. All right, so we mentioned life without Zach Wilson, and you got to find yourself a new quarterback. Aaron Roderick was saying that you do a lot more 11-on-11 than a lot of teams do. So what's the thinking behind going 11-on-11 as much as you do? And then what are you looking for in starting quarterback going forward, or really in any year? Well, I'm going to trust Aaron and and, and, uh, what A-Rod can get from these these quarterbacks. And, you know, we have three guys battling for the spot now, Jaron Hall, Baylor Romney, and Jacob Conover. And I only know one way, and that's that's to get the best to play. And so – this competition, I mean, uh, people forget that a year ago, you know, every position's up for grabs, so Zach had to battle for his position uh, with, with with two of these guys. So uh, this year, these three will have to battle it out, and I'm going to play the best. That's the only way I know how to do it. In the meantime, it's going to be the guy that's going to get us in the end zone the most, you know, and, and the guy that's going to lead this team. And there are, sometimes it's it's uh, there's a lot more to it than just on-the-field presence, but on-the-field presence is what matters the most, you know, and so uh, I, I really don't care how you deliver the ball as long as it gets there on time, and um, and then every position is going to have to battle and have to compete, and we'll play the best guys, and then, uh, 
you know, and then go into the season against Arizona, I think we're going to feel good about what we have. I'm glad that I have three guys to battle it out. There's a lot of programs that are struggling to get one out there, so it's nice. I feel comfortable with all three being able to to man the field for our boys and 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 get us in the end zone. And then last thought, the thing is, you got a lot of talent returning also at running back, wide receiver, tight end, and you're adding talent in those spots as well. So how much confidence do you have in those groups? And then how much can that help the transition with whoever the quarterback is? Well, I think last year um, a lot of the guys had opportunities to play in games. Um, you know, we 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 sub guys out quite often on, especially on defense and defensive line. But we, there's sometimes in the last year in the games where we had it in control, and um, you know we 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 took our, our our foot off the gas pedal a little bit and put in some some young guys to get us some valuable experience. So it's not like a lot of these guys are going into their first opportunity to play. Um, some of them will be the first time to start, but most of them have been on the field before and had some significant reps in games. And that's something that you can't simulate even as much as you want to try to do 11 on 11 in practice. Getting out there in games under the lights, that stuff matters the most. And I, I think we have a, a lot of experience returning. We definitely have a lot more work to go. I mean, we're going we're gonna to push and work hard in fall camp and get the most out of these guys. And hopefully by the time we get to Vegas against uh, Arizona, uh, our fans will be proud. Well, that's September 4th. You've got BYU going up against Arizona and Las Vegas on September 4th. BYU coming off another huge year. The head coach there is Kalani Sataki. Kalani, I appreciate you. Always appreciate the conversation, too. Thanks so much. We'll do it again soon. I know that. Pleasure's all mine. Appreciate everything you do. Thanks, Jim. What's cracking, head? How you living? Man, after a, uh incredible weekend, I'm I'm living large, Jim. I'm living large. How incredible was the weekend? Break it down for me. What happened? Dude, we hit on everything. We hit on the NBA Finals game. We hit on the baseball game. And then uh, the British Open at plus 400 for everybody on the air. And I got a plus 1,600 on that win. So all three of our big bets, we paid off. All right, so what's the reaction been like online? I mentioned yesterday we saw somebody tweet at you from Australia. We saw somebody tweet at you from Canada. Are the clones happy? Are they thanking you? What else have you heard and seen? That's the cool part. Everywhere across the, uh, the, the world, right? The Australia, the Canada, the places like that. But no, the clones are very, very happy. You got a couple haters. I don't know what they're hating on, but they always find a reason. So, but for the most part, they're pretty damn happy. Haters gonna hate. Like, mm-hmm. like what? You go three and one, and they hate you? No, I, I don't even know. Yeah, probably not hitting something. I, hell, I don't know. They probably didn't do the math themselves, so they just want to find it. something to complain about. Haters going to hate. Haters mm-hmm. going to hate. I like that one guy that parlayed a $1 bet on three of the games into 21 bucks. And I'm not even being funny about that. Like, hey, no. bet, bet what you can, right? Yeah. Bet what That's you can. That's the fun of the whole thing, right? I mean, he's just having fun with the whole thing. And now the parlays, these clones just love the parlays. And I've never one time on the air said parlay something. But that's what makes gambling so fun. It's just another layer to the whole thing and say, hey, put a couple five bucks, ten bucks on props or games, whatever you got. It just makes everything funner. You know what? More fun is More what you fun. wanted to say, I think, actually. But okay. You <laughs> know, you the, the kids, the kids love that. Well, I don't want to get into that. Anyway, let's get at it. Game the college six. kids who can gamble love it, right? That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. They love their prop bets. They love the small bets. They love the parlays. Let's get at it. Game six. Tonight, Milwaukee, up three games to two. A chance to finish and win their first world championship since 1971. little background here. It is amazing, Head, how quickly this thing is flipped. The Suns won the first two games. They looked like they were in cruise control. And at that point, the question was not whether or not they would win, but whether or not they would sweep. Mm -hmm. Now they have to win. 
on the road against a loose and confident Bucks team just to get it back head to Phoenix for game seven where, and I know you'll get into it, the Bucks have already proven that they can win. I have my pick. I'll give it to you in a minute. But first, I want your thoughts. How do you see this game? And how are you playing this massive game six this evening? Fear the deer, Jim. I've been riding with the Bucks since game three, and I'm staying with them here tonight and giving up the four and a half. That's the spread I got. Four and a half. Minus four and a half. A few things Milwaukee is doing well. They're dominating the offensive boards. They're winning the turnover battle, and that's leading to more possessions. Add that to the fact that their transition game is dominant in this series. Not only do they have size, that size could run up and down the court. Milwaukee's outscored the Suns 86-45 to in fast break points in the finals. That's a 41-point advantage as far. Also, the Suns shot 68% from distance last game and still couldn't win at home. The key thing is attempts. The Bucks D has adjusted. During the regular season, they rank last and allowed threes in the entire NBA, but the Suns shot only 19 threes in Game 5 and 23 in Game 4. They averaged 34 a game during the regular season. Milwaukee is doing a great job of steering them out of the corners, away from the hoop, and into the mid-range. Now, as far as against the spread numbers, we've talked about it. The Suns have been fantastic all season, but their worst number is on two to three days rest. That's in play again tonight. They only cover 38% of those games against the spread. That place is going to be hostile tonight as well. And like you said, or a clone said earlier tonight, the Bucks have an ace in the hole. Scott Foster is on the whistle tonight against Chris Paul. Dude, I saw a stat muse tweet in the Foster v. CP3 head-to-head playoff matchup. Paul is 1-12 against the rep in, the, in his past 13 playoff games. And the only game that Paul uh, Paul's team won, he didn't even play on playing it. So um, I'm going Bucks here to be world champions. This is all over minus four and a half. Head some incredible information right there. I want you to walk back that last point. I got to be honest with you, I had not seen that number before. Did you just say that Chris Paul is one in twelve? In his last 13 games that Scott Foster refed, and the one game they won, he didn't play? Next yes, question, incredible, right? That's what StatMuse, it's a great uh, uh, Twitter follow. That's what they tweeted, and they're always accurate their stuff. I knew right. Foster had gotten the best of them, but I had no idea. It's literally like Owen his last 12 against him. No, that that <laughs> is literally the most insane NBA stat I think I have ever heard in my life. All right, so you've got them minus four and a half. Here's something that happens once in a while. You and I are not necessarily, and by not necessarily, I mean, in fact, we're not on the same sites for reasons I won't get into. My number is minus five. Before I lay out what I'm going to do, do you still like that bet at minus five? Yeah, I'd still hit it. I thought it was going to be minus six, so I still like the five. I love it. You like it all the way up to minus six. Yeah, well, I thought that that's where the line was going to be at, and it was going to be hard for me to decide on that one. But, yes, I, I would go five for sure and absolutely minus uh, four or five. Yeah, minus four and a half sounds a hell of a lot better than minus yes. six. I'm going to take yeah. it at minus five. All right, so to me, the Suns were up 16 mm-hmm. at home. They got big games from their big three. They had a chance to get both hands around Milwaukee's collective throats, and they still couldn't finish. And if they couldn't get it done there, what makes anybody think they're going to go out on the road tonight in and 
final elimination game and get it done there. They haven't won in Milwaukee yet. Suddenly the point God is anything but. Suddenly he looks like just another guy who can't take care of the ball when it matters most. And on top of that, the Bucks, as you point out, Head, have been killing the Suns in the paint, and there is no reason to believe that that's going to change tonight either. And come to find out, playoff experience does matter. Milwaukee has it. The disappointments of recent years have gotten them to this point. The Suns do not have it. Well, CP3 has it, and it's gone badly, but the other guys don't, and that's showing itself to be a real problem at the worst possible time. You know that whole thing about not dead, can't quit, not dead, can't quit? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well... They may not quit, but they'll be dead soon enough. I'm going to take the Bucks minus five. You got four and a half. I'm going to take them minus five. One more thing. I don't know if you said this or not when you, when you made your point. The winning team is covered in every single game in this series, and it says here they will do so again. Head, I went against you last time, and it bit me in the ass. I am going with you this time. You and I are riding together. The Bucks win it all this evening, and they cover. I love it. The public is against us, Jim. 62% has the sun, but let uh, sons, but let's hope we are right here and make some money. Hey, what's that tell you, by the way? When the money is going the other way, historically, oh, and by the way, historically, in this format, in this series, when teams have that 2 nothing lead and they fall behind, it, it does not go well for them either. If the money goes that way, historically, does it say we should go the other way? I do. I don't know what you know what the odds of that usually are, but I usually like going the other way. I, I hate when everybody is dialed in the same way, so I, I love going the other way. All right, so last thought. I'm looking at my website right now. I've only got one other pending bet. I'm kind of mm-hmm. curious. Like, when you go to your website where you've got things, how many other, quote, pending bets, future bets do you have up right now? Depends on which website I go to, I guess. <laughs> Degenerate. Really? Yeah. I got about four or five probably on each one pending out there. All right. So I've only got one pending thing right now. Uh-huh. The only pending thing I have besides tonight's game, Bucks minus five, I'm still looking at Chargers plus 3,300 to win it all. So funny you mentioned that because I just went on to check what the Broncos odds were, and they're plus 3,500, you know, just because that Aaron Rodgers thing. So I'm like, damn, I was hoping it'd be another 50 to one, but 3,300. 3, is nice for the Chargers. I love, love the Chargers. You see, that's the thing is we already have we already have our quarterback. You are hoping to get your quarterback. That's right. One quarterback away, and they're competing, right. man. All right, so you see anything else? Any prop bets, any baseball, or are you just going that one thing tonight? I'll probably put some prop bets out later. I'm angling on these dudes playing more minutes, so I might hit the over on a couple things, like Chris Middleton over on two-and-a-half threes, maybe Mikhail Bridges one-and-a-half threes, and then old man Odin. 11 and a half boards. I might go on that, too. So we'll see on that. I'm also waiting on a Major League Baseball line for the Tampa Bay Baltimore. I like the Rays right now. I'm confused by that old man Odin reference. What are you referring to? DeAndre Odin. DeAndre Ayton. He looks like Greg Odin. Oh, you think that DeAndre Ayton looks like Greg Odin? No, I I see what you did there. I see what you did there. All right, Head, you got it. You've got Milwaukee minus four and a half to celebrate a world championship. I'm going to go Milwaukee minus five for the world championship. If there's anything else you decide upon, make sure you hit it up on Twitter, and I will retweet it, and the clones will know. Love it, and I will do that. Thanks, Jim. Nice job, Head. The big head, James Kelly. And he's a good friend of the program. He is John Morosi. Hey, John, what's going on? How are you? 
Jim, I am outstanding, my friend. Thanks, as always, for the conversation. And what a great week. MLB trade deadline coming up. NHL draft this week. This is uh, two of my favorite events all in one. My man, you beat me to it. I was going to say, every single time I talk to you, John, it feels like I say something like, John, this is your time of year. And then you beat me to it for those reasons. Why don't we start with MLB and then, John, right off the very top. How many teams do you see being potential buyers at the deadline? And how much could that number change between now and the actual deadline? Well, Jim, it's a great question because I, I look at one team as being really typical of this drama, this uncertainty, the New York Yankees. They have won consecutive series against the Red Sox and the Astros, and yet there is this crisis of confidence over if this team is good enough to merit adding players. I say they are. I think the AL East is winnable. Uh, The Red Sox uh, have only won four of their past ten games, so I would still expect the Yankees to be buyers. The question, though, Jim, is do they buy for the near term or the long term? I look at a player like a Byron Buxton with the Minnesota Twins. Yes, injury-plagued, but a brilliant player when healthy. Also, Starling Marte, a rental player uh, from the Miami Marlins. I look at both Buxton and Marte as being possibilities for the Yankees, who right now are still buyers. So I say buyers. You have four in the AL East, Red Sox, Rays, Blue Jays, Yankees, the White Sox in the Central, definitely a buyer. Houston and Oakland out West, and of course the NL. Seems like everybody is still involved in the NL East race, and then of course that great three-way race out West with the Giants, Dodgers, and Padres. John Morosi joining us. Sorry, you covered a lot of ground right there. I think the point that you made about the Yankees is really interesting. There's seven and a half games out of first in the East, or four games back in the wild card chase, but you feel like they are very much in the hunt and still buyers. What about, John, the Cubs as an example? Like on a scale of one to ten, being a lock, what number would you give the chances of Chris Bryant being traded, and where do you think that he might end up? Very high chance of Chris Bryant being traded, Jim. I look at a team in the NL East like the New York Mets or the Philadelphia Phillies. Both teams have had some injuries in their infield, of course, most recently for the Mets with Francisco Lindor. Chris Bryant is having not quite an MVP season, but one of his better years. And why I think Chris Bryant has such value, Jim, in the marketplace is the positional versatility. He can play first. He can play third, he can play left, he can play right. If an AL team gets him, he can be their DH. That's five different spots you can get him in the lineup. And at a time of year where flexibility means more than ever, Bryant's athleticism and versatility, I think, make him the Cubs' best trade commodity. Certainly there's going to be a lot of conversation about Craig Kimbrell, and I get that. He's a closer. Uh, There is the, the option on him for 2022. But the everyday player, Jim, with Chris Bryant, he can be the difference maker in what's a very, very close NL East race, either the Mets or the Phillies. I also look out west with the Giants. They've had some injury issues with Evan Longoria and Brandon Belt. I think Bryant could help that club as well. There's a number of different ball clubs, Jim, that I look at as being very good fits for Bryant, and I do believe that he will have a different team by 4 p.m. Eastern time on July the 30th. John Morosi joining us. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but and it's not something we didn't know already, but the fact that a guy could play five positions really is amazing. I mean, what is this, high school baseball? But no, at the highest level. You mentioned Kimbrell. John, what is the market for him exactly? Great question. And I, I look at Kimbrell, I mean, one spot, again, I mentioned the Phillies, uh, they are a club that needs some closing help. I, I look at a lot of different ball clubs, the Yankees even being one of them, with, with the issue with Chapman in the ninth inning. 
they need more consistency there. Um, even a club like Houston, I could see getting an additional reliever. Oakland as well. These teams that are clearly going for right now who have players on their rosters entering free agency, Kimbrell gives you that additional layer of, of confidence entering the postseason, especially when you're a team like Houston that is trending towards making it. You feel pretty comfortable you're going to get a chance to play in the postseason. And on the Astros, too, by the way, you look at their pitching. They've got a very young rotation. They need a little bit more veteran influence, I believe, in their bullpen. And Dusty Baker, Jim, Dusty Baker is going to be, be taking over sole possession of fourth place on the all-time list among men managers and the number of times he's made the postseason. This is going to be his 11th time in the postseason, Jim. Dusty Baker, a Hall of Fame manager, yes, looking for his first World Series as a manager, but what an incredible job he has done with the Astros. I know they're the team that everybody uh, wanted to criticize, and rightfully so, as last year began, but he has done an extraordinary job in Houston. We're talking to John Morosi. All right, John, let me ask you about a team that's kind of interesting. The Atlanta Braves, they win the NL East three years in a row. They give the Dodgers all they could handle in the NLCS last year, but this year has been a different story. Does it feel to you like they keep buying and try to make a run at the division, or could they flip and become sellers in the next few days? Well, it's an excellent question, Jim. And obviously the, the Braves right now, uh, they have added Jock Peterson. They have added Stephen Vogt in recent days. And they have still taken on this buyer's mentality. But to your point, they enter play today two games under five hundred, uh, four and a half games back in the division. I, I do believe right now they're going to stay as buyers, uh, but it's really hard for them to, to get back to the level they were last year, especially without Ronald Acuna Jr., who was a loss for the season with that injury that he sustained right before the All-Star break. So for me, uh, while the Braves are, are still buying, clearly based on Alex Anthopoulos' moves, are putting that into action and actually acquiring players right now, uh, it's going to be difficult for them to eventually win this division. I just look at the, the Phillies right now with their momentum being a more complete team, and the Mets even, as long as Jacob DeGrom is healthy. But I'm qualifying some of these statements here with the Phillies if they figure out the bullpen, if the Mets have a healthy Jacob DeGrom. These ifs are the reason why Alex Anthopoulos right now, Jim, is still planning on buying. I think that we could see Alex take the next week and see how the team is playing, see how they play over the next several days, and then make another call on July 28th, maybe two days before the deadline, about definitively buy or sell. But I think right now he is going to take this thing to the wire and is certainly predisposed to buying, but I think he'll also have to really uh, listen to whatever happens with his team here in the next week or so. John Morosi joining us. All right, John, what about Jacob deGrom? Like, he's been absolutely incredible again this year, but he's currently dealing with forearm tightness, and he's dealt with a number of different issues that have cost him starts this year. I mean, really effectively, how much can the Mets count on him down the stretch? Do we know? Well, they are still working on learning that information right now, Jim. And, and Jacob DeGrom had an MRI over the weekend, which revealed no structural damage. That's the good news. The bad news is he keeps having these nagging injury issues. And he really has only had about one solid month where he's been able to take the ball every fifth day and, and deliver a good amount of innings for the New York Mets. So uh, they're, they're confident that it's not a long-term issue here, that this is not a, a ligament or something that's really alarming. But he's not feeling good. And, and until he's feeling like himself again, Jim, it's hard to imagine that Taiwan Walker, Marcus Stroman, and this group is going to be able to hold off a, a team that's playing as well as the Phillies are right now. So this is, you're asking one of the key questions in the game right now, which is how healthy is Jacob DeGrom going to be in the second half? And I want to make this point about the trade deadline overall, Jim. 
that in past years we had that August waiver period where players could pass through waivers and still be traded. Remember, that doesn't happen anymore. That's been taken out of the MLB rules. So this is your last opportunity. I, I, I liken now the trade deadline. Remember that, that sign you drive by when you're in southern Florida? You're about to go across Alligator Alley, last gas station? This is the last gas station. You better refill your pitching now because there's no more opportunity between now and the east coast of Florida, so to speak. And that's where teams are dealing with right now with July the 30th. I like it. John Morosi is joining us. John, before you go, why don't we throw a bone to our hockey fans? You've had several conversations with NHL draft prospects. You've done features on them for NHL Network. Who are some of the guys who have jumped out to you in your coverage and preparation for the draft? Well, Jim, a couple ones. Uh, I'll say at top of the draft, I believe Owen Power is going to be number one, Matty Beneers number two. Both of them were freshmen at the University of Michigan this past year. Owen Power, I think, likely to Buffalo. Uh, Matty Beneers to the expansion, Seattle Kraken. Uh, Michigan, therefore, will be the first team in more than 50 years to have the number one and number two overall picks in the NHL draft. An incredible freshman class in Michigan. It's going to get even better with Luke Hughes arriving. Luke, of course, the younger brother of Quinn Hughes and Jack Hughes. Quinn, seventh overall to Vancouver. Jack was first overall to the Devils. They are going to become, Jim, the first set of three brothers, and of course they're all as an all-American family, to ever be drafted, all three of them in the top ten of the NHL draft. So NHL draft history coming on Friday night. And then my favorite, I think, late arriving, uh, maybe first-round pick, Shai Buyum, a tremendous athlete. His parents are both, uh, they both grew up in Israel, moved to California. He's a Southern California kid, Jim, and I love how he's made himself into a top-end prospect going to the University of Denver. Shai Buyum, I believe he could be a first-round pick, late first-round pick, really coming on the scene right now. Tremendous backstory in your backyard there, Southern California. I love all all of those angles really quickly the kraken who you mentioned the seattle kraken they've got the expansion draft tomorrow night if you were in charge of them what would your approach be for the draft itself you got to blend i think a couple superstars jim but not getting too carried away with too many large contracts i know there's a lot of buzz right now should they take carry price i would say no on carry price but i certainly would draft mark giordano from the calgary flames make him the first captain in kraken franchise history but a lot of the for me a lot of the, the questions are more revolving around good complimentary players that's how vegas built their team it was not taken on a bunch of superstar contracts of players who are going to hamper your cap going forward Vegas had success with the likes of Jonathan Marchessault, William Carlson, Riley Smith, those types of players. I believe Seattle takes the same approach. I would say no on Carey Price, no on Tarasenko, but yes on Mark Giordano. He should be the first captain of the Seattle Kraken. All right, so Carey Price would be a very big swing and tempting, but you say no. I say John Morosi is all over everything. MLB Network, NHL Network in front of the program. What a great hit, John. Thank you so much. Great job, as always. And always good to talk all things with you. Jim, my pleasure, my friend. Can't wait till we can uh, share some studio space again in the future as well. Catch up in person. Can't wait for that day, but really enjoy your show on TV and on the radio as always, my friend. Great job as always. Let's go to southeast Wisconsin quickly, Chris. Good to have you, Chris. What's up? Hey, Jim, dude. How you doing, buddy? Good, man. How about you? I'm doing great, man. Hey, listen, we're inching closer and closer to the excitement and anticipation of the start of NFL training camps, not to mention the great privilege of watching the Chicago Bears rookie quarterback phenom, Justin Fields. However, currently, I'm sure we can all agree that all eyes are fixed on the bleep storm in Green Bay. And will that spoiled fan base get their wish? Will Aaron Rodgers show up? 
Let me borrow a phrase recently made famous by Milwaukee Bucks NBA superstar Giannis Antetokounmpo. Rogers has tinkled on your parade, Packer fan guy. So for all you whiny, jealous fans that always complain about star athletes caring only about the money, you finally get your wish. Here's a great example of a player that could care less about the money. The reality is Goody and company rolled the dice and bet against the Cali-bred signal caller last year. But guess what? They crapped out, Packer fan guy. I find it hilarious that the Packers brass expected Rodgers to suck last year. Instead, the future Hall of Famer throws 48 TD passes and only five picks. It's time to face your new reality. Take your Rodgers jerseys, fold them up neatly in a box, and put them up for sale on eBay, you cheap bastards. Because as for Rodgers, he gone. Wore the Bucks in six. Wore A-Rod for going absolute legend this summer. Creating enormous suspense and then giving the Green Bay organization what it deserved. An enormous and much-deserved middle finger on his way out of title town. It's a dynasty, clones! My man, Rakim, Chris in Southeast Wisco. He's already set for the smack-off next year. Rakim. Kathleen, Omaha. Hello, Kathleen. Two things. Everyone is hating on Bryson DeChambeau, but not me. I like him. I don't know jack squat about golf, but I know a gorgeous man when I see him. And I'm glad that Bryson is not a skinny ninny or a bag of bones. He's thick and he's meaty. With the trade deadline coming up, I want the Giants to bring home the 6'5", 255-pound kitten. He's floundering in Arizona. He's not getting any run support. The Giants are great, but they could be even better with him back in their rotation. And I want him to see him reunited with the other kitten who had been his catcher his whole career. Racker. Tracy, though, is in Phoenix. Tracy, what's going on? Hey, Jim, I just want to know, let you know that uh, you and J.K. are not my favorite people right now going against the Suns tonight. And what's up with the new guy? He is like all business, name, city, no small talk with that guy. Anyways, so this Sun series has been a roller coaster of emotions. I am super excited and, oh, my gosh, we're going to win and this is going to be our year. And then I'm devastated and I can't even look at the TV. Tonight, I need to see them return to playing team basketball. If a player is on fire, let that player take over the game. If Bridges and Crowder can't make their shots, don't give them the damn ball. Doing the and for heaven's sake, freaking rebound, please rebound. Good night now.